Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 24, and we will study out the great concern of the heart of Abraham, finding a wife for his son Isaac, and how Abraham involved God into the search so Isaac would not marry a Canaanite woman. Now, our Bible teacher here on Friendship with God is Tom Cantor. Tom Cantor is a born-again Jewish man who is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's a wonderful Bible teacher, but he's also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. And here at Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, we want to reach lost Jewish people that live around us. Some of them are doctors, lawyers, friends, or neighbors. Now, is your heart's desire like that of Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 10, that Israel might be saved? Are you interested in helping the Jewish people to find their Messiah? Well, our Bible teacher, as I mentioned, Tom Cantor, is a Jewish born-again Christian who is reached with the gospel by another Gentile. And if you'd like to help us to reach lost Jewish people and bring them to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have opportunities here at Israel Restoration Ministries and Friendship with God to do that. Currently, we have a missionary position open for Israel Restoration Ministries in the Southern California area, in San Diego, and in Los Angeles area. And if you're interested in this missionary position, a full-time position with Israel Restoration Ministries, you can contact us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Again, 800-247-3051. If you're interested in a full-time missionary position with Israel Restoration Ministries reaching the Jewish people. Now, if you have a Jewish friend that you know of anywhere in the United States, Canada, even in South America or Israel, and you want to reach a Jewish person that you know with the gospel, we'll send a free gospel gift from Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries to them or to you to give to them. You just need to call us as well at 800-247-3051. 3051 or go online to fill out the online form at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher here today on Friendship with God. Uh, Genesis 24, let's uh, prepare our hearts before the Lord. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, and we're thinking of the priest who prepared the sacrifice. And Lord, the word says that we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. So prepare us now, Lord, we pray to receive the word that transforms our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 24, verse 1. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I'll make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not Take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure, the woman will not be willing to follow me into this land. Must I needs bring thy son again into the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again, the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. The servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swear to him concerning the matter. Now, in verse 3, what we've seen here is this great concern on the heart of Abraham. Abraham, when he said in verse 3, he said, I'll make you swear, he says, by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of the earth, 
that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. This issue was very pressing on Abraham, was very important that he wanted to make his servant, Eliezer, we believe, swear to the ultimate when he says, and I'll make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of the earth. And so we see here, Abraham is turning the eyes of Eliezer to see himself, that Eliezer should see himself standing before the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of the earth, and he's to swear. And Abraham, he could not have asked Eliezer to make a more solemn oath than this. And the question is, why? What was so important to Abraham that he invokes the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of the earth? It was that Isaac's wife should not come from the daughters of the Canaanites. Now, it's interesting how Abraham describes the daughters of the Canaanites. What's the description that Abraham gives the daughters of the Canaanites in the last few words of verse 3? He says, the daughter of Canaanites, what? Among whom I dwell. In other words, Abraham was saying, I know them. Dwell has the root meaning of sit. I sit with them. I'm with them all the time. I know them very well. And it grieves me, Abraham is saying, it grieves me. He probably saw two observations among the daughters of the Canaanites. First of all, Sodom and Gomorrah was part of Canaan. And so Abraham had observed this just this overall obsession with sexual perversion. It doesn't always have to be homosexuality. And he'd observed how the daughters of Canaanite had used very well this sexual enticement. They were idolaters. They had no use for God at all. And so what Abraham was saying in the end of verse 3, when he says, among whom I dwell, he's saying, I know them. I live with them. I sit with them. And there's no way that Isaac should marry one of them. And so Abraham is convinced in his heart that they are headed for destruction. They're slated for destruction. God is going to destroy the Canaanites. He already destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He's going to destroy the Canaanites. And this is heavy on Abraham's mind. And he didn't want his son Isaac to be polluted, to be wrongly persuaded by marrying one of these men. So he knew that this was a very bad thing. And it wasn't just Abraham who knew this also. It was actually later on, it was the little family of Isaac and Rebekah, where it says in Genesis 26, 34 to 35, and Esau was 40 years old, about the same age as Isaac when he got married. Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Bere, the Hittite, and Bashemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, which were a grief of mind unto Isaac. So that marriage or marriages of Esau to the Hittites or the Canaanites was something that was described as a grief of mind. Esau married Canaanite women, and whenever Isaac and Rebekah thought about it, it was a morat. It was the same root as when Naomi came back in to Bethlehem, and she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. It was bitterness. It was a morat. It was a bitterness in their mind. It was like, for them, it was like sucking on a lemon. It was just a very distasteful thing. We can see how big a problem this was to Rebekah because what she told Isaac that if Jacob was going to go marry a Canaanite in Genesis 27, 46, Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do me? She said, I'm weary of my life when I think about it. And what good shall my life do me? So the way the Canaanite women lived made Rebekah not want to live. She was so discouraged. And if Jacob had ended up, her son ended up marrying one of them, she says, uh, my life is useless. My life is gone. 
So it wasn't only Abraham and Rebekah that were shocked at how the daughters of Canaan behaved themselves. It was also Isaac, because as Esau observed, he said, Esau saw this in Isaac, because it says in Genesis 28.8, Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father. So therefore, Isaac commanded Jacob to not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And he said in Genesis 28, 1 through 2, And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise and go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. This is the reason in verse 4 that Abraham commanded Eliezer, but thou shalt go unto my country, to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And so we've seen how Eliezer raised this issue to Abraham of, well, what if the woman's not willing to go, not willing to come? He says that in verse 5. He says, the servant says, peradventure. It's more than just a peradventure. He thinks it's going to be of certainty. The woman will not be willing to follow me into this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou comest? Do I have to bring him back to your old country? And we see Abraham very strongly protesting, no, don't send Isaac back into the country. He says in verse 6, Abraham said unto him, beware, he uses that word, beware that thou bring not my son thither again. Now let's just kind of think about this. This is a real dilemma because it's kind of like being stuck here because he's got two requirements that Abraham has set. First of all, Isaac cannot take a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites. Then Isaac cannot return to Abraham's country. So where's the wife going to come from? That's the big question. Let's look at this from Eliezer's point of view. Eliezer sees a real dilemma here. He says, well, you know, on one hand, a wife is needed for Isaac, and I'm not allowed, and he's not allowed to take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. I got to go back to Abraham's old country. But on the other hand, Eliezer's thinking, if the potential wife is not willing to come back and Isaac can't go there, it's a real dilemma here. It's a real problem. And it looks like Isaac's not going to end up with a wife. And this is disturbing to Eliezer. And for sure, you know, as Eliezer's got this look of he's disturbed, he's upset, Abraham reads it on his face. He looks at Eliezer's face and he reads it. And that's why verse 7 is so important. And Abraham the wise sits down with Eliezer and he just calms the storm of trouble in Eliezer as he said, look, Eliezer, I know how stressful this is for you. I know what you're thinking. So let me tell you something that's just going to remove the stress. Will you trust me, Eliezer, and listen to what I have to say? Because what I'm going to tell you is going to calm you. It's going to set peace within your soul. Now, haven't we all been in Eliezer's shoes? Haven't we all been where we know what the goal is? We know what has to happen, but we see huge obstacles in the way. And we don't know how we're going to reach the goal without compromising. You know, Paul told the Corinthians that if a husband dies, then the wife is free to marry another with just one requirement. He says in 1 Corinthians 7.39, where he says, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. That's it, Bill. Only in the Lord. See, the one requirement is only in the Lord. So what's a girl to do? What's a girl to do when there are no Christians to marry, but there are lots of nice-looking lost fellows around? It really, it's a matter of dating. You know, there are no Christians to date, but there's really nice, there's this is really nice unsaved guy, and he wants to date me. Why don't I go out on a date with him? The problem is not marrying 
an unsaved person. The problem is dating an unsaved person because the end of dating is marriage. That's why when Ruth Smith asked Cheryl, how come she married me when I was lost? Cheryl said the problem was not marrying Tom. The problem was dating him. (laughs) And so I'm just like the cat that ate the mouse. I have no comment. So So at the end of verse 6, this is a real problem for Eliezer, and he needs some help here from Abraham. He says, I need some help, Abraham. Help me out. And so he says, so Abraham replies in verse 7, and he says, the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, which spake unto me, he says, and that swear unto me, saying, unto thy seed will I give this land, he shall send his angel before thee. And thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. So notice the words that Abraham, the first words that Abraham says to the troubled Eliezer, you're troubled, you're disturbed. I can feel the stress inside of you. And so the first words that come out of Abraham's mouth is he says, the Lord God of heaven. Boy, that's good. He says, the Lord God of heaven. You know, when we have what looks like an insurmountable problem and we want to explain to someone, ourselves, It's going to be all right. We shouldn't worry. Somehow, starting off the explanation with the words, the Lord God of heaven calms the storm right off the bat. What a difference it made for Abraham's first words to be the Lord God of heaven. You know, Abraham is assuring Eliezer and telling him everything's going to work out all right. It's okay, Eliezer. It's okay. And Abraham could not have started out by saying anything more assuring and more comforting than these words, the Lord God of heaven. Abraham is saying to Eliezer, now don't you worry, Eliezer, because I'm talking about the Lord God of heaven. You know, if Abraham would have started off by saying, okay, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Tell you what I'm going to do. Tell you what we're going to do here. That wouldn't have been assuring. You know, if Abraham would have acted like the Lone Ranger, you know, who always had a plan, and Eliezer was like Tonto, who was always asking, do you have a plan, Kimosabi? And if Abraham would have said, yes, Tonto, Eliezer, I have a plan, you know, it would have gone that way. You know, if Abraham would have said, now, don't you worry, Eliezer, I have a plan, you know, I have a plan, then Eliezer would have put his head in his hands and say, oh, no, <laughs> not another one of your plans. You know, like Sarah's your sister, that kind of plan, you know, is that what we're going to hear about instead of your wife? And Eliezer, he wouldn't have been comforted at all and assured. In other words, if verse 7 started off with the word I, as in Abraham, it would have been a disaster, very disturbing and troubling. But instead, he starts off at verse 7 with the all-calming and the all-assuring words, the Lord God of heaven. And that just brings a calm to the troubled soul inside and starts off and saying, the Lord God of heaven. Right away, the focus is on God. Right away, Abraham is saying, look, Eliezer, when I start off by saying the Lord God of heaven, I'm asking you the question that God asked me in Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And he went on to say, at the time appointed, I'll return unto thee according to the time of life, Sarah shall have a son. The one who said, you're going to have a son. And then the question is, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Now we have the next problem. The son needs a wife. Same question. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? So he starts off this thing. He starts off his explanation with the name, the Lord God of heaven. And you notice that he didn't just call him the Lord. He didn't just call him God, but he calls him the Lord God of heaven. That's a more powerful name than God or just the Lord. There's power in the name that Abraham uses here. There's power in the name of the Lord. And there's more power in the name of the Lord God of heaven. There's power in the name of Jesus. 
But there is more power than just the name of Jesus or the name of Jesus Christ. The name has even more power when you say the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when we call him the Lord Jesus Christ, we're making a statement. We're not just talking about Jesus, the man who was born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. When we call him the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not just talking about Christ, the Messiah. When we call him the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not just talking about Jesus Christ or the man Jesus who was the Messiah or the Christ. When we call him the Lord Jesus Christ, we're calling him what Abraham called him, the Lord God of heaven. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in just a moment here on Friendship with God. We wanted to take a moment to remind you that Tom Cantor is the owner and operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, the original Creation Museum. It's open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And if you're in the Southern California area, we would love to have you come by and visit the Creation and Earth History Museum. And also, if you're visiting San Diego for a future vacation, plan to see the Creation and Earth History Museum, the original Creation Museum, here in Santee, California, that's owned and operated by Tom Cantor and has unique things you'll find at no other Creation Museum, such as the Human Anatomy Wing, the Age of the Earth Cave, and a life-size tabernacle. For more information, go to CreationSD, for San Diego, CreationSD.org, CreationSD.org, or 800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher. Everybody knows him as Jesus, or as Christ, or as Jesus Christ. But to know him as the Lord Jesus Christ is a special revelation. It's a revelation from God. And that's exactly what he told Peter, it says in Matthew 16, 16 through 17. And Simon Peter answered in him and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. See, Peter says, Thou art the Christ. That's a powerful name, the Christ. But when Peter said, Thou art the Son of the living God, he was saying, The Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, You are God. That's what he's saying. You are God. And he's calling him by the same title that Abraham is calling him, The Lord God of heaven. So Peter calls him the Son of the living God, and Abraham calls him the Lord God of heaven. And the Lord Jesus Christ says to Peter, that was not revealed to you by man. You didn't go to a course on theology and learn that. He said, that was revealed to you by my Father which is in heaven. In other words, Peter was told, flesh and blood did not reveal to you that I am God, but God the Father revealed to you that I am God. And so when we call Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ, the same is true of us. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to us, that Jesus is God, but God the Father revealed to us that he is God. And that's the reason why we should proclaim this revelation that we have by not just calling him Jesus, not just calling him Christ, not just calling him Jesus Christ, but to call him by that title of divinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 7, Abraham goes on to explain more to Eliezer. He says, the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred. Now, what we see here further in this verse is how Abraham explained to Eliezer that the Lord God of heaven took him personally from his father's house, from the land of his kindred, and Abraham was telling Eliezer, he was telling Eliezer that as he's sitting there from this point of his life, and he's looking back over his life, and he's thinking about what God did for him, he said, it was God. It was God who took me by the hand, just like God took Lot by the hand. 
And Eliezer was told by Abraham. Abraham was telling Eliezer, he said, look, reflecting back on that Eliezer, I want to tell you, when God took me out of my father's house and out of the land of my kindred, I didn't know where I was going. I really didn't. I didn't know where I was going because all really God told me from Genesis 12:1, now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Now, Eliezer, he would say to him, I really didn't know. I didn't know where I was going, but it was okay. It was okay because I had God and that's all that mattered. You know, it reminds me when Cheryl and I were, we were married at Miami University in Ohio and I picked her up one time and we were driving and she said to me something that really disturbed me. She said, Tom, she said, just keep driving and never stop. <laughs> Boy, that scared me. I thought, I got $100 in my pocket, <laughs> baby. And, uh, <laughs> and the gas will only go so far on $100. And when that gas runs out, I don't know how we're going to get any more money. So I was just shocked at him. It's spooky, you know. It's like Thelma and Louise driving over the cliff in the Grand Canyon, you know. It's like... Whoa, that just scared me. And I never, I pretended like I didn't hear it. I never asked her what she meant by that. And for 47 years, I never asked her about that statement because it scared me. I thought, oh, she's a really unstable person. Just keep driving, never stop. Until this year, before she went to heaven, after 47 years, I finally asked her. I said, what did you mean at Miami when you said, just keep driving and never stop? You know? And she said, I said that because... I had you, and with you, I had all I wanted. Now, that's exactly what Abraham was saying to Eliezer. When God told Abraham in Genesis 12, 1, Lech lecha, go, go, go you, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I'll show you. He was saying, just keep driving, don't stop. You know, Abraham left by faith. And it says, it describes that faith in Hebrews 11.8 when it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go unto a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. He didn't know. If Abraham was asked by Eliezer, you know, why did you do that? Why did you obey? You know, maybe it was more than 47 years. You know, why did you go out not knowing where you were going? Abraham would have said the same thing that Cheryl said to me. Abraham would have said, Eliezer, I went out not knowing whither I went because I had God, and with God I had all I wanted. That would have been it. And this concept of I have God, and with God I have all that I want, is what's expressed in the song, All Things in Jesus. It's got this great refrain. All that I want is in Jesus. He satisfies. Joy he supplies. Life would be worthless without him. All things in Jesus I find. Those are the words. That's what's being expressed there. So Abraham is saying to Eliezer that this is the way it happened. So in my first encounter, Abraham would say to Eliezer, with God in Genesis 12:1, a pattern was established where God called Abraham to obey and he didn't give him a roadmap. He did not give him a roadmap of how God was going to solve each problem. But Abraham could say, I found that God had a plan. He has a plan, and I know that he has a plan on how to get a wife for Isaac. But I didn't know the plan when I left Ur of the Chaldees when he said leave, but it all worked out. And I don't know the plan for how God's going to get a wife for Isaac, but it's all going to work out. So the description in verse 7 of the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house or from the land of my kindred, that's a description of what happened to Abraham when he obeyed the Lord God of heaven. 
Compelling and convicting teaching from the life of Abraham out of the book of Genesis from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. And as our resource, we're offering two amazing books to help grow your friendship with God for a donation of $20 or more. Now, Tom Cantor is our amazing Bible teacher here on Friendship with God. He's also a pastor, author, patent holder, inventor, advocate for patience, and the 2009 Whistleblower of the Year. But did you know, or you may not know, that Tom Cantor is also a scientist and biochemist and the CEO of Scanabodies Laboratory, Inc., but he's also the owner and operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum in San Diego, California, actually Santee, California, which is a suburb of San Diego. And because of Tom Cantor's science and creation background, we're going to offer you two wonderful books on dinosaurs in the Bible and another book on how your origins matter. Now, Dinosaurs in the Bible will help you understand where dinosaurs came from, where they went to, and how long they have lived on the earth. And dinosaurs are often portrayed as living millions of years before man arrived on the earth. But what does the Bible and science have to say about that? Is Genesis correct? If so, then dinosaurs were created on the same day as humans, and that would be thousands of years ago, not millions of years ago. And science today shows that it's thousands of years ago, not millions. The second book, Your Origins Matter, will help you to answer the question, what am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose and identity for myself? And understanding that you've been created magnificently and designed for a purpose in God's will for your life. Now, we're offering these two wonderful books for a donation of $20 or more to the Friendship with God radio program. And to receive Dinosaurs in the Bible and How Your Origins Matter, call us now at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Call us for these two books for a donation of $20 or more, Dinosaurs in the Bible and How Your Origins Matter, or go online to our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or for the Creation Museum, creationsd.org.